Matthew chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. I think I told my wife last night when she was doing the bulletin, it was 1 through 13, but it's not. Uh, that is my fault again, as normal. Uh, 1 through 12. Remember, man, it's always your fault if something goes wrong. This morning, and it is warm up here, so I'm going to take this off. This morning's title of the message is The Person, The Person, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And uh, as we begin a new chapter, we, we see an, a new individual here come on the scene. All right, and we'll see this throughout the, the, the book of Matthew, but he is one of great importance as we shall see this morning. Uh, in fact, he is called the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he had an important calling, of course. All right, and this morning, we're going to take a peek inside the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, all right, and we're going to find out who he was and where he came from and why he lived and what he did. Okay, and how he served the Lord. And one thing during the study, one thing that really caught my attention uh, was uh, concerning John here was, uh, was what the Lord mentioned about him over in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 11, the first part of that verse. He says, our Lord says, verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And I want to read to you what uh, John Phillips says concerning this verse. I like it. I, wanted, I liked it so much I wanted to give this to you. Uh, John Phillips says, uh, quote, uh, By every measure, John was a great man. The Lord was paying tribute to his sterling character, moral fiber, uh, natural ability, spiritual stature, and unflinching resolve. Born into the priestly line, John had renounced a career in the priesthood become, to become a lonely, ascetic, wilderness prophet. He was a true visionary, a spiritual giant. End quote. And even today, there aren't many, but maybe a handful of people who are willing to leave all and serve the Lord. And I mean that in a monetary means, uh, their livelihood, that is. Uh, not many are willing to live a life of poverty and solitude in order to serve God. Not many people out there like that. But as we'll see this morning, John was born for this reason. Yes, his was a special birth by a woman named Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see how that's interwoven as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And today... Uh, well, before we get started, let's go ahead and pray one more time and we'll, we'll get started here. Father, uh, once, once more I come to your throne in need of your help, in need of the Spirit's anointing this morning in order to, to get the, the word out as properly as it can be. Father, I, I ask for your help. I ask for your guidance. Father, help me not to say or do anything uh, out of line this morning. And I ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will come and, and, uh, and, and with His power to, to come and uh, anoint us this morning uh, to be able to uh, understand Your Word and to be able to, to receive Your Word as it is. That's God's Word, Father. We ask for Your help this morning and Your strength. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Now, this morning, I do have five points I want to give you. If you listen good, I'll be quick, all right? If you listen good, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be done in no time, all right? First, first we'll, we'll see the, the preacher. This is verses 1 and 2, the preacher. 
Bible tells us here in verses 1 and 2, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Under this, I have a couple of sub-points. First one being the man. The man. It says here, In those days came John the Baptist. Who was this character? What do we know about John the Baptist? That's a funny name, isn't it? It's strange to hear a man of his last name, or what we know as his last name being, is what he did, was baptized. But John the Baptist, who was this guy? Well, first, we know that he was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. His father was a priest who worked in the temple. Both were said to be righteous before God. And let me say this. Let me stop uh, uh, just long enough to, uh, uh, to explain this. Not many times are you going to see in the Bible where God calls someone righteous. Not many times you see that. So when, when God says that he calls somebody that they were righteous before him, that, hey, that means something. That's a great credit towards them and their character. But God says that they were righteous before him. And Luke gives a detailed account of his birth, which uh, was miraculous in itself. Elizabeth was barren, and she was uh, both well up in, in years to be able to have a child or give child to child. But God had one of his angels visit him, uh, Zacharias, that is, while he was in the temple. And the angel said, uh, uh, this angel was named Gabriel. He talks to Zacharias, and he says that he's going to have a son, and that his boy will be filled with the the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. This is a a miraculous birth. This is a a, a particular birth. This is is one of of special special care and special need here. Some may ask, how is it possible uh, to be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from your mother's womb, when uh, uh, salvation comes by faith in Christ? Well, John's birth was for a special purpose. His life was not his to live, but God's. And God used him as he uh, saw fit, and he used him as the forerunner of his own son. This has only been a, there's only been a handful of people who were ever born uh, for a special purpose for the Lord like this. That's to remind us also that when God, uh, that, excuse me, that when we're born again, so to speak, born again, born with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us uh, at our salvation, that we too have been born for a special purpose for the Lord. Whether it be full-time ministry or, or to add what you're already doing, your secular job or whatever it is that you do. But once you get born again, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's not just so you can have Him because He has nothing else to do, but that means you're, you're born again with a purpose. God has a purpose for each one of His children. Uh, you, you have children at home. Uh, that there, there's not a couple of them that just sit around and the other two got, you know, got chores. No, they, at, at my house, all four of them's got stuff to do. And God's children, His children have stuff to do also. And it's, and it's up to us to figure out what we need to do for the Lord. Listen to, to his, his, uh, uh, his still small voice and find out what God wants us to do in our lives. Then next... Something else we find out about the preacher, we find the mission. The mission. That's B. He says, uh, uh, Matthew says here, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John was to be a preacher. His life was to preach, uh, but not in the synagogues. 
He wasn't to go into synagogues. He wasn't to go into big cities and towns to preach. But he was to go into the outskirts of the villages and into the wilderness to preach. John preached and crowds came to him. His sermons were powerful so much that people would come to hear him. And it is said that they heard him gladly. He did not compromise, as we will see later on, but he was honest and he was sincere in his message. Would to God we had some more John the Baptist preachers here today in America. We need some John the Baptist here in America, some that would stand up and not care, not cater to to what the world wants and not cater to what the religious majority wants, but caters to what God wants. We need some good preaching this morning. Would to God we had more John the Baptist. Would to God we had more people standing up and caring for the souls of men and women and not caring whether or not they offend someone, but care that, that, that they preach the gospel so that those who are, are not saved could get saved. Then see, we see with the preacher the message. The message. It says here in saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. You may remember when I preached uh, on repentance the other month, uh, I said that Christ's first message was on repentance. Uh, uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 or 17, somewhere around there if I ain't mistaken. Here we see that repentance was the message uh, of John the Baptist. Uh, this is an important message that still needs to be preached today. Repentance. That's a lost word. Especially, hey, it's a lost word out in the world, but it's definitely a lost word out here inside the church house. We don't hear about repentance much anymore. We need repentance. Repentance is important. We need to see this once again. Hey, if we're ever going to get this nation back from Satan, we need to learn how to repent. I'm talking about the world and and the, uh, the, the child of God. We need to learn how to repent. The act of repentance brings us back to the foot of the cross in guilt and pain. But at the same time, it leaves us in the presence of the Lord in the heavenlies. We've got to have repentance, y'all. We've got to have repentance in our lives. Oh, that men and women and boys and girls would learn to repent of their sin. Point two. Point two, we see the prophecy. Verse three, the prophecy. It says here in verse three, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We find here that Matthew's quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. And he's almost verbatim here, but we know that uh, you lose a little bit in translating from the Hebrew over to the Greek or Aramaic, whichever one they uh, trans- translated it to. So it's not exactly uh, word for word, but listen to what Isaiah says here. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We know that prior to John coming on the scene, uh, there was a span of 400 years of complete silence from God. That was the space between the Old and the New Testaments. 400 years of silence. God God didn't speak to His people for that whole time. He was quiet. Oh, 
Oh, how, how awful that would be if God didn't speak to us in our, uh, to our hearts day in and day out. How, how dreadful would it be to live a life where God would not speak to us? But God did not speak to His, his children, His nation, for 400 years. Until he had an angel speak to both Elizabeth and Mary. And then after that, God spake to the nation of Israel through John the Baptist, prior to the Lord coming on the scene. The prophet said that he would be the voice where God, the Son, is the Word. Amen. His occupation would be to cry or herald, to cry aloud. And his workplace was in the wilderness. None other prophet ever had their workplace in the, in the desolate places of Israel. They all sought the big cities. But John's work required him to be there. Yet so powerful was his message that he didn't need to go into the cities. He didn't need to go into the big towns. He didn't need to go into the synagogues. They came to him. They came to him. They came out to the wilderness to hear John preach. The message of the gospel brings those who are hungering after it to those who preach it. Indeed, this was Elijah in spirit, that is, which was prophesied by Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this, Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We see that the scribes, the priests and the Levites, as John says, uh, asked him if he were Elijah. This is recorded over in John chapter 1, verse 21. And this is, his, uh, this, this is the verse here. It says, And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Adam Clark says that he was the Elijah, that was to come. For in the spirit and power of that eminent prophet, he, uh, he came proclaiming the necessity of reformation in, Re in Israel. End quote. And although John, uh, he didn't understand that he was, uh, it, which is possible, he didn't, he didn't realize that he was, uh, that uh, Elias come in spirit. But our Lord even says over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13 and 14, that he indeed was. Listen to what he says. The Lord says, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So we know that John, the forerunner of our Lord, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, was Elijah in spirit and power, and was there to pave the way for the Lord. He was setting things up, getting things ready for our Lord's ministry. Then next we see point three, the practice. The practice, that's verse four. It says here, and, this, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. So this was not your average church leader. It wasn't your average church leader of their day, and it definitely isn't your average church leader of today. All right? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about John. I love this. Concerning John. He was rough and stern like Elijah. His garments betokened his simplicity, his sternness, his self-denial. 
His food, the product of the desert where he dwelt, showed that he cared nothing for luxuries. His whole bearing was symbolical, but it was also fit and suitable for his office. The plainness of food is the best for the body and mind and spirit, and moreover, it fosters manliness. And I love Charles Spurgeon's prayer at the end of this. Lord, let not my meat or drink or garments hinder me in thy work. Amen and amen. What a powerful statement about a man. What a powerful statement said about the man of God who was preaching. Oh, would, would we have some more John the Baptist here today that, that the things of this world wouldn't, he, he wouldn't get caught up in. The things of this world he wouldn't have no look, no luster for. He wouldn't, see, he wouldn't uh, care about the, the newest of things, the biggest of houses, the, the, the greatest of, uh, of finances. He wouldn't care about those things, but his, his focus, his ministry, his word, his love was the law of God, the word of God here. And that's what he preached day in and day out. Would to God we have more John the Baptist? Point number four, I believe it's point four, is the people. Verses five and six, the people. It says here, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. As I mentioned before, the people came to him. He did not have to go into the cities to preach. He was of such fame that all the surrounding areas came to hear him. And it says that they were baptized of him in the river Jordan. Now, this was not the same baptism as you and I know of today, okay? Although our baptism retains the symbolism of repentance and purification, ours also is performed in the name of the triune Godhead and signifies our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. As we see that they were baptized, confessing their sins. We know that John did not proclaim that he had the power to forgive their sins or to take away their sins. We know that that's what baptism does not take away our sins. We know this. We know this. Hey, listen to what John says, uh, John the Baptist says over in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That right there. That right there. Look. He knew that it was Christ which had the power to forgive sins and take away sin and not himself and not baptism. He knew that. Today, uh, this is something that each individual must realize that they cannot take away their own sin. It's not in our giving of time or money or finances. It's not in our works, but it's in Christ that forgives our sins. It's in Christ. The blood of Christ covers our sins. Neither does a priest or a pastor. Your pastor cannot forgive your sins. I don't have that power. I don't have that authority. God has not given us that. It's, it's only through Christ. The Lamb of God, as John says. He's able and he, and he will if you ask Him. Oh, what people realize. Realize what the gospel really is. The true gospel. Never been about works but of faith and a Savior. Number five. This is verse 7 through 12, which is the preaching. The preaching, 7 through 12. Now, there are five things I want to point out in these verses, and we're going to start with verse 7. 
His preaching was, A, in power. His preaching was in power. Verse 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John was bold. He was bold in the fact that he did not cower to those who were in the religious authorities. He didn't care who was sitting in the, in the pews with him. He, had no, he, didn't, he didn't care. He preached the truth. Look, they didn't do their job of warning the people of the wrath to come, so he did while they were there. Both Zephaniah and Malachi speak of the coming of the Lord in righteous judgment. John was re-emphasizing it. He was correct to call them vipers whose words were poison and that they were caught, in the, uh, caught up in the, the tradition that they've started instead of in the law. They held their traditions up higher than the law. How dare them? Then we see that his preaching was, B, was to produce. His preaching was to produce. Verse 8. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. John says, Today, we know the genuine born-again child of God by their fruit. We know them by their fruit. John was asking for no less. If any of these religious leaders claimed to be repentant, then they would bear fruit that bore their faith. It's easy to say that you're a Christian. It's hard to prove it. You've got to have fruit in order to prove it. There are many people who say it, yet you never see their fruit because a dead tree doesn't produce any. A dead tree don't produce fruit. We are dead in trespasses and sin, but the Lord regenerates us to where we are living spiritually, and with that comes fruit bearing. Then C, we see their, his, excuse me, their position. Their position, verse 9. It says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Remember that Abraham had two sons, one born of the flesh, Ishmael, and the other of God, Isaac. It was Isaac that was to be blessed, not Ishmael or his posterity. We are not to think that just because our parents were Christians, that entitles us to be also. You, you're, you're sadly mistaken. I, I hear a lot of people, well, my grandfather, he was a pastor. Well, well, that's good. But are you a Christian? Well, my grandfather was a pastor. That doesn't matter. I'm glad he was a pastor, but that doesn't matter a hill of beans whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Yeah. Christianity is a personal decision. One that you must make yourself. Not to decide is to say no. Did you hear me? Not to decide is to say no. Well, I, I'm not going to say yes or no. Well, you're saying no by not saying yes. Yes. We must remember that. Then D, his persuasion. His persuasion, verse 10. says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. We must realize or we must remember that all those who do not bring forth good fruit are corrupt trees. 
Do you hear me? Therefore, the axe is laid into the roots. All right? They will be judged in the final days. Hey, as a Christian, we have already been judged by God and found not guilty, not because of us, but because of the blood of Christ. He bore our punishment, therefore we have been set free. Then E, we see his proclamation. That's verses 11 and 12. Uh, Let me read verse 11, talk about it, then I'll give you verse 12. Verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Interesting words here. It was here that John the Baptist spoke of something that he did not understand fully himself. You say, how does he, how does he do that? I do that quite a bit. Alright? But he does that here. Yes, his baptism was that of repentance. But he had not understood, uh, nor those around him knew what it, was, what it was to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. They didn't know about that yet. That was, that was not heard of in the Old Testament, okay? There were those who were anointed by the Holy Ghost for a special purpose. There were those who, were, uh, uh, who the Holy Spirit came upon them at times. Think of Samson. The Spirit came upon him at times, okay? But to be baptized with the Holy Spirit was not done. Then John says that it will be also with fire. What could he have meant by this? What is it to be baptized with fire? Now, you're not in a Pentecostal church this morning, okay? So they they believe it a little bit different than we do. There are many theories concerning baptism by fire. And the one that I feel comfortable, that, that I feel that is most accurate, will be the fact that our Christian life is a life tried by fire. Our life is a life tried by fire. Uh, what does gold do to, uh, when fire when it go, goes into the fire? It purifies, does it not? It, it gets more pure the, the more fire you set to that gold. Well, so as we are tried by fire, we're baptized or dipped into the, uh, the fire of tribulation, the fire of persecution, the fire of trouble. We're being purified and sanctified for heaven. Not that our salvation is progressive. No, I'm not saying that. But our sanctification is progressive. We, we should be continuing in our faith, getting more Christ-like throughout our Christian life. But we'll never really reach that until we reach heaven's bright sore. Amen? Amen. And then verse 12. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff, the chaff with unquenchable fire. God is in full control. He is the final judge of all the nations and the people therein. This last day prophecy shows us that God will indeed separate the lost from the saved. Hey, that's coming, folks. That's coming. All right, God will care for the saved while at the same time. The lost or the, or the chaff there, as Matthew calls them, they will be burned with unquenchable fire. This is a fire that man has no way of putting out. This is a fire that will continue forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is a somber reminder of what the lost will have to look forward to. This morning, listen up, church. This morning, who do you know that's lost and at their fate? If they were to die today, they would end up in that flame of hell. Who is it that you know that's lost? 
Who is it that you know that, that does not know Christ as their Savior? And if they died today, they would be burning in hell from now to eternity. Throughout eternity. Though John the Baptist preached this sermon over 2,000 years ago, these words still echo truth today. There will come a day of judgment. There will be a time for rewards for those who are saved. While at that same time, there will be an eternal judgment for those who die without Christ. Do you know someone who is lost? Who, if they died today, would spend eternity in the sinner's hell? Hey, John the Baptist came on the scene and he was preaching repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, he was preaching for us to repent. I'm preaching this morning. Look, uh, church, if you're saved, uh, you make sure you repent of your sins daily so you can stay close to the cross, stay close to the Savior. But if you're not saved this morning, I'm asking you to, to repent and come to Christ in faith and allow Him to forgive you of your sins and take you to heaven when you die. This morning, I plead with you. I plead with you. If you know someone who's lost, if you've got a loved one, a, 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 a family member, a friend that you know that's lost, I urge you this week, give them a call, text them, write them an email, write them a letter, give them a postcard, do something. Give them, you say, how do I witness to them? Give them your testimony. Tell them about what Christ did for you when you was lost and how you got saved. That's one of the best ways to witness to a lost friend or family member. But I'm telling you, it's important that you witness to them. Let them know that there is a devil's hell. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that our, our churches around America have lost its power due to the fact that people don't preach on sin anymore. People don't realize why they need to be saved. Because nobody's preaching on, uh, on you being a sinner in, in, in need of a savior. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We need to realize that we're sinners, that we cannot measure up to God's justice. And because of that, we have to pay for our own sins. We're going to die and go to hell. But that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that we put our faith and trust in Him. Christ brings us up to God's justice. And guess what? He sees us as sinless, because, not because of us, but because of Christ. Because we're covered under, under His blood, His pure blood. That's why we go to heaven. The people need to realize, first, that they're sinners. They can't pay their way to, to, to heaven themselves. They need Christ. This morning, John the Baptist came preparing Away for the Lord. His message was on repentance. This morning, I urge you, I urge you, if you're not saved, get saved today. But then, those of you who are saved, if you have someone, you know someone that's not, I urge you to start witnessing. People, we don't have long. We don't have long. You say, that's what they've been saying for 2,000 years. Well, we're 2,000 years closer. We don't know. We don't know when. Paul, didn't, he, didn't think, he didn't think it would be very long. I don't think it is either. Would to God, we start telling people about Christ again. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your strength.
I ask, Lord, that you bless this message. That you bless the people here. Give us the strength, Lord.